All right, let's just start by praying. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord Jesus, for that amazing worship, Lord. Father, I feel as though you're mobilizing an army here today, Lord God. I could almost hear them in the Spirit, Lord. Father, I thank you that in your word, Lord God, you said that you give us the opportunity to partner with you in the harvest, Lord Jesus. Father, I just pray, Lord God, this morning as I share, Lord Jesus, that you would allow our hearts to be fertile, Lord Jesus, to hear your words, Father God, and to allow them to take root, Father God, and to, to bring forth 30, 60, and 100-fold, Lord. Father, I pray for your peace upon the words, Lord, and that it would be your words coming forth, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I felt in worship a real excitement. I'm a ha- I have for weeks leading up to today, but just in worship then, it felt like the Lord, he is doing something. There's an army that is being mobilized, and it's you guys. Um, and I've shared, I've probably shared this seri- series maybe five or six times, but it's always fresh and it's always new. Like I sit down and really seek the Lord as to what it is, what's the direction you're taking, what's, what's your heart for this place and this church. And um, I got up early again this morning, like I, I do every morning, but it was a sleep in. I got up at five this morning <laughs> instead of 2.30. Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> and so I'm just going to do a quick, a quick intro before, before we get into it, just to lay a little bit of a foundation of where I'm going. Um, so organic evangelism, something that I said last Sunday was birthed about 10 years ago, and it was for this church. Um, I was attending this church, and, um, and the Lord had began, through different circumstances, began to stir in my heart a way of evangelizing that I believe was for this church then and for this church now. Um, and it's, it's, not, it's not awkward, it's not uncomfortable, it's not scary, but it is a way of um, reaching out and bringing people into God's kingdom. Evangelism isn't about us. It's about the people that we live around. It's about the people that are in Palmerston. It's about the people that are in Darwin. As you start this series by sharing a story about a lost son, um, and this morning I'm going to, I'm just going to, uh, I'll share the same story just so you guys get the heart of it. Um, the gospel message is about a father who deeply loved his children and who was separated, separated from his children through sin. And therefore, he sent his only begotten son to die and to reconnect us with those kids again. But it's important that we catch the heart of the father before I start the message. Because evangelism isn't just an activity that we do and decide that the Bible says it, and therefore we must do it. Because if, if that's the way we see evangelism, then we don't do it. It's just, a, it's a simple, Jesus commands us to do it. He says that we must go into all the world. Um, and to share the good news with everyone. But it's not an activity that we engage in, and that's why I want to talk about the Father's heart first. just want to share, if any of us have young kids here or have had young kids in the past, if you've ever been walking through a shopping center with those kids and somehow in the shop you've lost them, at first there's not too much panic. You're looking over the heads of people and it's sort of aisle to aisle, you're looking for this child. Okay, imagine Elijah's little, Elijah, where are you? You know, I'm a little bit concerned. If I'm, when it gets to about the two-minute mark, that doesn't seem like a long time, but as a parent, that seems like forever. Like you've been looking for this kid forever, and, you, still, and it's busy. There's people everywhere there. Someone could have taken the kid. You haven't seen the kid. 
and then the panic starts to rise a little bit. When you get to about the five minute mark, it's full panic. If you haven't found that kid in five minutes, you're going to the front desk in the shop, you're going to say, can you please put an announcement over? This is my son or daughter, this is what they look like. And the panic starts to override normal sense of fear. Like normally, you would never yell out in a shop, it's uncomfortable and kind of embarrassing. But your love for that child overrides all of those normal emotions that happen in that instant. And so if Elijah's lost for more than five minutes, I'm actually okay with kind of yelling out his name with some volume. Elijah, Elijah, are you here? People are looking at me and they're thinking, oh, he's lost his kid, you know. They're not, they're not feeling too much about it. And I'm not uncomfortable. If it hits 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I'm yelling at the top of my lungs. I'm building momentum in my stride. I'm racing around. My heart's pounding. I love this kid and the kid's out of my arms. And I need him back in my arms. I'm not sure what's happened to him. There's, there's frustration. There's anxiety. There's all these feelings that I'm feeling. He's my son. And if it moves on to the evening that evening and he's still not in my arms, I'm completely overwhelmed. I need him back. You understand where I'm going with this? The father's love or the mother's love for their child is it's an intense bond with that child. Okay? And if I was to call a search party for that child and say, okay, I need a group of people that can help me find my son. I lost him in a busy shop. It's the evening time. We still haven't found him. Obviously, he's been taken. Something, something's happened that shouldn't have happened. Okay? I'm going to call a search party. Let's say I call this church. I say, hey, let's go find my son together, hey? You're good people, and I know you'd help me. And we'd all go out, and we'd search, and we'd search, and we'd search. I guarantee that after sort of a week, you've got lives to go back to. You've got jobs, you've got responsibilities, things that you need to do, right? So you get back into that rhythm, and you understand, yeah, Isaac's lost his son, and that's the saddest thing. But your connection with him isn't like mine, okay? So the, the two-week mark, there's only two people left. It's Vanessa, and it's me. We don't eat right. We don't sleep. We just want to find our son, okay? Because he's ours and we need him back. You understand? That's the Father's heart for us. He was stopping nothing to get us back in his arms. And he didn't. He died a brutal death to reconcile us back to himself. He couldn't stand the fact that night after night we were out of his presence. Night after night he couldn't get us back. He died and went to the ultimate place to redeem us back to himself again. You understand? So if I'm going to call a search party and I want you to really have the momentum that I've got and I want you to have the heart that I've got and I don't want you to stop and I want you to move. You understand, there's, there's a city here, Palmerston, and there's a city there, Darwin, and it's full of lost kids, okay? The father's lost kids. He loves them because they're his kids and he's calling a search party. In the Bible, in Acts, Jesus says, look, do not leave Jerusalem until you've received the Holy Spirit. So they've seen Jesus do heaps of miracles. They've seen Jesus walk around raising the dead. They've seen people come into the kingdom. They've responded to the message of Jesus and said, yeah, we'll repent and we're going to come into that place. They've seen all this and they've even been sent out two by two and done miracles themselves. And done these things. But Jesus said, it's really important, guys. Don't leave until you receive the Holy Spirit. 
And the reason for that is it says in Scripture that it's through the Holy Spirit that the Father sheds abroad in our hearts and minds His love. His love. The Father's love for His kids. So it's not our kind of love anymore. It's His kind of love. So when He called the disciples together in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell on that group of people and they went out, they were mob- it was an army that was mobilized. And it wasn't mobilized like, hey guys, it's probably a good idea for us to go out and share the gospel as Jesus told us to. Boom! The Holy Spirit was put inside them and suddenly this urgency and this boldness to share because they wanted their lost kids back in their arms again. They felt the heart. They were grafted on to the heart of God. Does this make sense? So suddenly there was this new momentum and it was sustainable, something they could move out. The first day they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people came into the kingdom in a single day. So, yeah, it's, it's incredible. So once we move into a place where there's a hunger for God and we receive the Holy Spirit, we're spending time in His presence, His heart begins to overflow for His kids and it becomes something that we're not satisfied anymore with rubbing shoulders with people in our workplace that at night time they go home, they're depressed and thinking of taking their own life. We're not satisfied with saying nothing anymore. It becomes this urgency that, hang on, I feel something for this person. I'm actually feeling a heart for this person or or a family member or a friend or something. Something starts to move and to happen inside us. And then we start to step out. So So the basis of organic evangelism comes out of the Lord beginning to reveal to me that you've got to understand how I feel about the people in the world and about the people that are far from me. Like the urgency and the heart of the Father for people is overwhelming, it's intense, and he wants them back in his arms. And as we draw near to him, we feel that love more and more each day. Okay, we can move on to the next slide. Okay, the next slide looks exactly like the first one. (laughs) All right, the next slide when you find it, it's called, it's called, What is Organic Evangelism? Um... So we, t- we know what traditional evangelism is, right? Traditional evangelism is, um, I don't know what your experience is with it, but it usually goes along the lines of, hey, let's all gather together in a group and let's hit the streets and awkwardly approach strangers with tracks or with a gospel message that we kind of blurt out and then run away. Or we knock on a door of a perfect stranger and a very similar thing happens. Who's ever had that experience before? A few people gingerly putting up their hands. That was my understanding of evangelism for so many years until the point God began to open my eyes to something that was a little bit different. And I'd done those. I'd actually taught people how to have awkward experiences with sharing the gospel with people. That's something I did. And I, I, come on, guys, we'll just get out there and we'll share it. We'd all come back after, you know, 50, 60 awkward experiences and go, well, we did what God asked us to do. I'm not sure what came of it, but it was, you know, apart from feeling weird. Um, And so God began to, like I shared last week, God began to reveal to me that there's something else going on and there's a way of sharing the gospel and living in 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 a lifestyle. Oh, great, we brought it up. Nice picture, hey? All right, you can move on to the next slide. Yes, it is the right one. All right, so I put there, definition of organic is something that occurs developing gradually, naturally, without being forced, contrived, developing in a manner of a living plant. So I put that picture there. You could see something that's man-made 
road and it's hard and then something that's emerging out of that space, it's natural and it's easy. That plant's not thinking about it, it's just doing what it does, right? It's just growing up in the middle of it and that's the kind of evangelism that God began to show me is something that is going to happen in my life naturally and normally and he's placed me in a position that it can happen and it doesn't need to be awkwardness that I do sometimes because I have to. And I put definition of evangelism. I love the scripture, for, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 there where it says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreading everywhere the fragrance and knowledge of God. For me, that scripture sums up what it is to share the gospel with people. We as Christians are assigned to um, share everywhere the fragrance and knowledge of God. Like That's what our lifestyle is. The people that we come into contact with, they should experience that. That's what evangelism really is. It's not awkward experiences. It's giving people a taste of the goodness of God through our natural life. That's what evangelism is. So I'm just going to just um, briefly go back to the story I shared last weekend. So at the time the Lord gave me this series, um, I had been um, heading up Youth for Christ here in the NT for about three and a half years, and it was hard slog. I was, it was missional. I was, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of money. Um, I was on the ground most of the time by myself running a lot of programs and things. And at the same time, um, Vanessa gave birth to our two beautiful kids, and she started getting quite sick. Um, and so, to cut a long story short, ended up having to resign from Youth for Christ, ended up coming home and looking after Vanessa full-time and the kids. And at the time, um, I felt like a real failure, you know, I felt like all these things were happening, I was heading up Youth for Christ, and there were so many opportunities and different things the Lord wanted to do, um, and I ended up spending, you know, honestly, maybe six months in front of the TV, just sitting there watching TV, looking after the kids, and, and I felt... I guess I felt a degree of depression, that, that things weren't working the way. And it was not, I wouldn't have said it was my best season, okay? This wasn't the best season that I'd ever had in my life. But it was out of this season that God began to show me something. And who knows that the scripture talks about the fact that God uses fragile clay jars in order to put this beautiful treasure inside that is Him. And that was me at that time. And I didn't realize that. And I didn't know God was going to show me this out of that season. Um, but like I said, one morning I slinked out of, I was quite overweight at the time, I'd been eating a lot of takeaway, like I'm going to be super vulnerable with you guys, I really was rock bottom, and I slinked out to the, to the bin, not really even thinking about evangelism, certainly not, none of that sort of stuff, and I opened up the bin, and then Brendan, this, my neighbor, met me at the bin, and uh, it's the first time we'd actually met, I didn't know his name, I'd never met him before, put my rubbish in the bin, he did the same, um, and then we kind of stopped, and he began to share with me about his life. He said, oh, I'm Brendan, I'm your neighbor. Like, we literally, it's units, I live through the wall to him. Um, and he started sharing with me, and he said, I've been out of work, I've got, you know, busted knees. Um, and he said, my biggest struggle at the moment is just that I've spent a lot, of my, a, a lot of my money on alcohol, trying to raise my kid, I'm, we're not eating right. And he just started pouring out his life, and I was just standing there thinking, Oh man, like I'm a, I feel like a loser. Um, and and you're this guy sharing the fact that he's a bit of a loser as well. Um, and and I, I actually started reciprocating, going, Oh mate, you think that's bad? I'll tell you what, I've got this, I'm sitting on the couch, I'm eating Maccas all day. And, and he's like, Oh man, that's bad. You know, I'm like, Yeah, I know, we're, this sucks. Like we're, both of our lives are sucky. And I know a lot of you might be thinking, how, how on earth is this actually evangelism? And that's what I thought at the time too. But God, in his amazing workings, is going, You have no idea what I'm doing here. 
Because you've thought evangelism was this massive bravado activity where you go out and you hound people with the gospel and bang on doors, I'm going to show you that it doesn't need to be that at all. So on this fragile clay, overweight jar that's sharing, <laughs> sharing the gospel, or not sharing the gospel, sharing my absolute rock-bottom experience, the gospel didn't even come into it at all. And then I went back to the house and I sat on the couch, and then God gave me this picture of the lost child, and I'm like, and I saw Brendan like that, and I'm like, okay, all right, all right, all right. And it was actually surprising that I could even hear God with that level of clarity since I've been watching so much TV lately. Um, But I I had, and it was like God was saying, what are his needs? Like, what's going on in this guy's life? And I'm like, he doesn't eat right. I know that because he said that. He's spending all his money on alcohol. And God said, what are you making for dinner? And I was thinking, you mean, what am I picking up? (laughs) No, (laughs) No. I actually had an inspiration to cook. Um, and so I thought, oh, I'm going to cook this dish. And the Lord said, would it be okay if you cook too much and give it to, to Brendan? And I thought, it would be, be okay. I was trying to do it in a real macho way because it's embarrassing to say, hey, I, I, Brendan, I cooked you a meal. You know, here it is. Um, and so I tried to do it in a real macho kind of way. So I was like, oh, we, I just cooked way too much accidentally. It won't fit in the fridge. You guys, do you want it? And he was like, oh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll have it. Or no, he might have done it in a macho way too and goes, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, and he, he took it in and, and they ate it. And that was the first, and then day in, day out, God would start to show me these little things. I'd be at the shop and he'd go, hey, you should buy that for, for them, like give it to them. And so I'd be like, oh, you know, guys don't need this meat or need this. I'd, again, whoops, bought extra and I didn't need it. You know what I mean? Not to embarrass him either. I didn't want to, he didn't need to be my charity case. And then as the relationship went on, God began to show me that, hey, I love gardening. And I noticed he's in the backyard. He's got a couple of, you know, um, pots outside that he's put some chilies in and other things. And I said to him, do you think maybe together we could build a garden? Like we could build an above ground veggie patch and plant some seeds in and do some things. And we did. We ended up going out there and building this garden. And little Elijah was there with his hat on. And we started building and talking. And at first it was building and whinging about how you know, bad our lives were for the first little while. And again, you might think, well, what's going on with that? And I didn't know either. But then eventually it moved on to this hope that was in me kept coming out. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's bad, but there is actually more to life than this. And I'm a Christian, and so I've been... And that's introducing Christ in this relationship. Um, And then after three months, one day it was raining outside, and we were sitting there, and he was a little bit quiet that day. And he came to me and he said, I need it. Like, I need the thing. He said, I understand your life is bad too. He said, because you've shared that with me. But he said, we're different. He said, you keep talking about something else, like this hope. Because it's in me. The Holy Spirit's in me regardless of the season that I'm going through. And God brought me to the point where I was able to pray with him. He didn't come to the Lord at that time. And I'm not even sure exactly what happened afterwards. But I was able to give him a Bible and I was able to pray for him on that day. Like, in other words, God sort of moved on him. And we kept in contact, I think, for a few years after that. But I should ring him up again now. But what I'm saying in that is that this was the start of the Lord showing me something completely different. So he went, you used to think evangelism was about going and punching out there and banging on doors. And, and I used to really work myself up to it, you know, like, we're going out, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And he goes, doesn't even have to be that way. He said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He said, I'll just put you in front of the people that need me the most throughout the day. And he said, and you just do what you need to do with them. And so he started to soften my heart as to, to what that would be. All right, we can move on to the next slide. Is this water my water? Thanks, whoever put it there. Okay, 
Who said that? How rude. Now, so, the, so God began to show me this concept of divine planting. Um, and the passage of scripture that he gave me, you can see down the bottom, you can move on to the next slide if you want to. That's the passage of scripture there, the next one. So it says, Isaiah 61, and I absolutely love the scripture. It's one of my favorite ones in the Bible. And it's the one that Jesus used um, when he first addressed, addressed the people in the synagogue. When he was first given the, you know, the, old, the scroll of the Old Testament, he, he read out this scripture. He said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim that the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of the Lord's anger against his enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he'll give um, a crown of beauty for ashes and joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, us, they will be like oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild ancient ruin, ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them. Um, though they have been destroyed for many generations. God began to open up to me the idea that, Isaac, in your life, wherever you have been positioned geographically, the neighborhood that I've put you in, the workplaces and the people that I've put you around about, he said, Don't, have you not seen that I have always been strategic in that placement, that it's you you I've wanted there and you full of my Holy Spirit in that environment and you will bring about the revival in that space through my Holy Spirit. And it's been specific and it's been divine. And he began to, to, to um, bring to my memory stories of the past where I've seen, I've been in workplaces even as a young guy. Um, and God began to uh, move on relationships and bring people into the kingdom. And it was natural and it was normal. And he began to show me that there was something so different. He began to show me how strategic it was that we are placed in families blood families, blood relatives, um, how strategic it was we were put in specific workplaces, specific neighborhoods. And he started to show me that there's something incredible going on in that, that it's not something that was blasé where God's just like, okay, well, that family and you know, this neighborhood and this workplace. And he's like, and it was you. It wasn't another person. It wasn't like he could say, I'm going to substitute that Christian for another Christian. It was you your personality type, your giftings, full of the Holy Spirit and on fire. It was you that was called to that specific harvest field. Nobody else. And that's your jurisdiction. So this morning, as I begin to share more and more about what it means to be divinely planted, I want our eyes to begin to open and for us to begin to see the faces. See the faces of the people that we work alongside that don't know the Lord and the ones that have kept coming up in our mind. The family members that are, in our, um, that are blood relatives that are not saved that have kept coming up in our mind. And I want us to begin to see it as strategic that God's given us jurisdiction over a certain group of people. For most of us, it'll be around 25. There's 20, probably around 25, 30 people, specific individuals that God has strategically placed you in amongst that mix in order to pray and bring about their salvation. Guys understand? Woo! Exciting! All right, so this one's, so you can move on to the next slide. All right, please don't laugh at the picture, okay, that's there because of that, I created that. Um, and it would hurt my feelings if you had a go at it. 
Okay, so I'm going to run, so that you can see there's a whole bunch of scriptures there, but I just, it's important that we run through this so we kind of really understand how exciting it is what God's done with us, okay? So I'm going to move over here because it's easy for me to just point straight at that screen. So in the middle there, that little seedling, that's us, okay? Before we came to the Lord, before God, you know, dropped his Holy Spirit into us, we still had the characteristics of God, okay? There were still giftings and personality, and you'll notice that even a lot of your unsaved friends still possess the characteristics of God. They still love people, and there's still different things that are going on. But at the moment we are baptized, John 12, 24, so you can see just under there it says, um, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest. And then in Galatians 2.20, it says, My old self was crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So those two scriptures together, the moment we said yes to Jesus. So, we were, so Jesus was the gardener, right? The Bible talks about the fact that he scatters the seed across the earth. So he's the one that scatters the seed. And until we become born again, we sit in a dormant state, right? So we're sitting there. We've still got our giftings, and we've still got different things that are in our life. But it's in a dormant state, like we're almost like sleepers waiting to be awakened and to, and to begin to move into the call that God's put us. So we're still in the same families. We might even be in the same neighborhoods. And we may even be in the same workplaces and everything. But the moment we say yes to Jesus, that, that seed, who knows with a seed, as soon as it, it sees its first breath of life, really, it cracks open. The seed itself dies. It cracks open and bang, the shoot comes out the top of it and it's it's forever changed. It was dead and dormant. The moment it became born again, bang, new life. All of the potential of heaven to be these mighty oaks that revive whole cities are within that seed, right then and there, ready to completely explode. And so that's what happens at the point of us being buried with Christ in baptism and we rise again a new creation, it says. So we start as a seed, Holy Spirit comes in and bang, the whole thing comes alive. Now, even in this here, you're looking at an amazing, almost secret, redemptive plan for mankind. That The Bible says that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. In other words, before the world was even created, God chose you in Jesus to be born again. Okay, And so His strategy for, for the redemption of mankind you guys, after Christ, it says that he was the firstborn of many. In other words, he was the firstborn of his type. His type is flesh and blood and is filled with God. He was the first one. And then who were the, who were the ones after him? Us. Of the same type. So he was the firstborn of many. We are of the same type of Christ. In other words, we're flesh and blood and we're filled with the Holy Spirit just as he was. So his redemptive plan, he was the firstborn that was started. He scattered out the seed, and he said, I'll be the first one to blaze this trail. He read out that scripture where he said, the spirit of the sovereign law is upon me. I understand who I am. I'm the son of God, and I've come to die for these people. He died, and then he handed on the baton, and he said, hey, I'm going to give you the spirit now. Boom! And he threw it out to us, and then the seeds began to sprout. His redemptive plan for mankind. And he goes, you're just like me. Even greater works you will do than I've done. You're just like me. And he said, so instead of there being one Jesus that had to do all of the work, he left, threw his spirit down and went, you are my brothers and sisters. You go do it now. 
And so you can see the springing up in workplaces and families, all these things. That's you. You hold the same power as Christ within you in those environments. That's, you you got to be excited about that. Like just the idea, the sheer power sitting inside you in those spaces to begin to do different things. So the moment you became born again, bang, that seed cracks open and begins to move. And again, baptism, Colossians 2.12, it says you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power who raised Christ from the dead. Luke 13.18, it says, Then Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It's like a tiny mustard seed that was planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree and birds um, make nests in its branches. He's talking about you. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He said, if you would understand this, he said, you're the kingdom of God. You're the mustard seed. I threw it out. I've empowered it with my spirit. And he said, it might look tiny, but the moment that it starts to grow, it becomes a sheltering place. My, my kingdom begins to move out from it. People become aware of the goodness of God through your life in your environment. That makes sense? I, excuse me, Siri, how rude. <laughs> Isaiah 61.3, um, which we, do, we were just reading before. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Isaiah 61.11. The sovereign Lord will show his justice to nations of the world. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early springs with plants springing up everywhere. Guys, this is exciting. And it should put us in a position too. I hope two things happen. The excitement is, wow, this is, it's not a coincidence that I am where I am. Like I'm hoping that just this revelation alone, there's this idea that, hang on, something more is going on here and I have... And the responsibility of what it is comes at the same time. So we realize God wasn't mistaking this. He knew exactly what he was doing. He chose me in Christ. He planted me out here. I've come alive. I'm a seedling. You could be further on the track than that. It might even be a plant this high. But whatever it is, but the strate- it was strategic placement that happened here. All right. So... When God began to show me these scriptures and he began to show me what was happening in my life and who I was and the way it was strategic placement, and I still saw myself as a fragile clay jar because I was emerging out of this you know, pretty ordinary season. But I tell you what did start to change in my life. It was recognizing the people that I came face to face with every day. That it, suddenly this responsibility and this earnestness in my heart came up and I started to see things differently. So I'd walk down into Woolworths and suddenly I was aware of if I am what you say I am and I've been strategically planted and you have breathed life in me through your spirit and you're starting to move then the people that I come into contact because the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord you have done this deliberately and I need to be aware of it. So I'd walk into Woolworths and this might happen to you too every single time I get the same checkout person and I'll be like Oh, I thought it was very busy, but I've still got the same checkout person. It was like I would see their face. I'd recognize their name now, and I started to become more aware of it. And I'm like, okay, I'm si-, and I go to fuel up my car. It's Tom, you know, the same guy. And I head in there, and, and it's exactly the same thing happening with me now. So I go through McDonald's drive-thru at 3 a.m. in the morning, and I order a large ice latte. And it's the same people. And I'm aware of it, though. So I'm aware of it. So it's that guy, it's this lady, it's the next lady. And I try as much as I can through my window and their window to just pour out 
the kingdom of God into their life. And this morning, no word of a lie, I went through, I went through McDonald's drive-thru this morning um, and I ordered two uh, medium cappuccinos so that I was awake at five, so I needed to go through this stuff. Anyway, the guy answered me, he said, hey, it's you. And I said, and he called me large ice latte man. And I said, yes, it is, it is I. And, uh, and he said to me, we were discussing his staff this morning, different people. He said, good, good and bad customers. And he said, we all said, what about large ice latte man? <laughs> and they all said the same thing. And he said, there you are. He said, he said, there's something. And he was sort of indicating it. And, and I was just driving through, I was laughing to myself thinking, oh, that is just so God. Like I knew I was sharing this this morning. I was thinking, that's just so God that on this particular morning that he would be showing, go, see, I'm doing something, you know, but me recognizing it and being more deliberate about it, that, okay, it's that guy, and I've got, and pr- so we'll talk about prayer and how we move it into prayer next, next week, but understanding and recognizing faces and then moving it into prayer and then seeing God begin to move on the lives of those people. But the first thing is recognizing it. So the second one I noticed, I'd take the kids for walks along the, the beach. Um, we lived in Nightcliff at the time, and there'd be this guy who'd always see, like, drinking a beer, watching the sunset, and again, it was like God honed in on this guy. Like, I've shown you him every evening. You see this guy. You think it's a mistake? And then he showed me someone else and go, all the time you see this person. Do you think it's a mistake? And I'd realize that there isn't any mistakes here. So it became way more deliberate, my lifestyle, the way I live, the way I operate around people. And even with family members, that there'll be particular ones that keep coming up in your mind. And God's like, I, you were birthed into this family. I chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. You think you've got a troubled family and there's stuff going on there. He said, I birthed you into this family and something began to happen. I'm sure I shared with you guys before, but I'll share it again briefly now. Oh, am I way over time? I'm like six minutes over. I'll stop in a sec. When I got born again, um, I was 17 and it was into a family, but my parents are missionaries, but They'd spent 20 years on the mission field, and at the time I was born again, very, very tired, very worn out. Um, my, my brother or sisters, none of them were Christians. And my older brother and two younger sisters, none of them were Christians. And through a, a, a bunch of different events, I came to know the Lord, um, and radically, my life radically changed. So I was living really worldly, and God radically moved on my life and radically changed it. The seed cracked open at that point. So, bang, this, this thing emerged into a family that was flat, so flat. Hardly went to church, really flat family. And in the space of one year, so one year of one seed coming alive in that family, it went from nothing to church all the time, every meeting, all of my family. So my, all of my siblings got saved in a year. Um, and then by the end of that, that year, I would wake up at 4 a.m. to pray as a 17-year-old. So we know that's a miracle. Um, and I'd wake up, and I used to climb a mountain behind our house and pray over the city. And that's a miracle. A 17-year-old by himself, climbing some mountain somewhere, praying over the city. Like, you know God's moved on a life that does that kind of thing. Anyway, by the end of the year, I would wake up in the morning at 4, and all of the lights were on under all of the doors because all of my family were praying fervently for God's movement. It radically changed the whole face and dynamic of my family from one seed dying and God moving on that life. So don't underestimate the potential of you in a family situation, especially families that just seem like they're just so way off and you've been praying for them for so long. They're strategic placement in this. All right, super quickly, last slide. 
because we're going to run over otherwise. Um, this is what we're going to be looking at this week. So I've drawn your attention to the fact that what God's done in us is phenomenal as far as the redemptive plan for... for um, you'll see, hopefully you, get, you guys get a copy of this anyway in your, in your small groups this week. But the homework for this week and the activity is for you to go away from today and to drive through Maccas and recognize the face. I want you to go to Woolworths and I want you to remember the people, the names. I want you to go to work and be aware of you are the one that he sent to that mission field. It's you, no one else. It's your mission field. Um, And I want you to start to write down the names because we're going to map it out this week. This is going to end up being your prayer chart. And so um, I want you to think about social contacts. You've got sporting teams you might be involved in, mothers groups, other social settings. Um, We'll be running through... Look, I'll run through this on Monday night and throughout the week anyway, so we... I'll probably explain it in more detail so we can take off shortly. But what I want you to do from today onward is just become way more aware of who you are in Christ and what he's done and the people around about you. That's step number one. Next week, we're going to be looking at um, returning to organic status and about prayer evangelism. So we're going to move on to the next step next week. So I hope you guys got something out of that um, this morning. Woohoo! Come on. Well, thanks for turning up too. After the first announcement, I wasn't sure how many people were going to actually rock up.